from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. Welcome to Volume 40, Number 45 of Grapevine. This is online version number 33, recorded on the 6th of November 2020. In this week's news, details of the council services which will stay open during lockdown. Optimistic news on the bankrupt Priory Centre. And on a lighter note, the Night Rider hits a supermarket car park near you. Hi, I'm Graham, your very croaky presenter, with this week's newsreader Aileen, plus Dusty with a Max voice piece, Julie with a poem for Armistice Day, and Andy with some straight-up weird Norfolk ghosts. As usual, though, here's Aileen with the first part of the news. Hello everyone, this is Aileen with the Grapevine recording for this week and what a bizarre week it is. We are now into the second lockdown for a month currently. It's sunny outside, it's frosty in the mornings. Remembrance Sunday's coming up but we've hardly seen any poppy sellers about. We are still very much in Covid times. And I cannot believe I'm all these months down the line and so much of our lives is dominated by it. In fact, it's very difficult to think of anything else these days. However, we are where we are. I hope you're keeping well and safe. So, for the news this week, mixed bag, huge amount of COVID. So, now a question that everyone is asking is what council services are operating The Borough Council has confirmed some facilities will remain open under the second lockdown as it spells out what support is available. In line with government guidance, playgrounds, public toilets and car parks which are not subject to the usual seasonal closures across Great Yarmouth are still open. Sports facilities which are not already closed for the season including the Wellesley Sports Ground are now required to close. Meanwhile, Borough Council leader Carl Smith has urged residents to look out for one another as new restrictions requiring people to stay at home come into force. He said individuals and organisations right across our community pulled together really well during the first lockdown to support the most vulnerable in these difficult times. While some features of this lockdown are different, please be assured that multi-agency support is still available for those in need. And I would encourage people to continue looking out for one another and to get in touch if you need help. For businesses, the government is making available relief grants with allocations to different council areas expected to be confirmed this week. Officers are working through the guidance and ensuring eligible businesses get paid as soon as possible. It is a top priority. While shielding, it is not a feature of this lockdown. The government has asked councils to support people defined as clinically extremely vulnerable to coronavirus and those people will receive a letter signposting them to support and can call 0344 800 8020 or complete the online form. In addition, anyone struggling financially because of the virus or who requires support to self-isolate might be able to access a range of help through the Norfolk Assistance Scheme, including with food, fuel and other essentials. 
You need to call 01603 option 5 or find out more and apply at www.norfolk.gov.uk forward slash NAS. Those on low incomes, even if their income has reduced for a temporary period, can contact customer services or visit the website to check their eligibility for council tax support and universal credit. Offers of emergency accommodation will be given to any verified rough sleepers. Council services are operating as usual, including waste and recycling collection, the brown bin garden waste collection scheme and other bulky item collections. While the customer services receptions remain closed for face-to-face inquiries, staff can be reached via 0808 196 2236 or email inquiries at great-yarmouth.gov.uk. In-person appointments are only available for vulnerable residents or complex cases which cannot be dealt with via other means. More information for residents is available at www.great-yarmouth.gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. So there is various things going on. It's always pretty tricky to find out exactly what is happening and where. Now, a teenager was airlifted to hospital with serious injuries. A motorcyclist has been airlifted to hospital after a collision in Great Yarmouth. Emergency services were called to Crown Road at the junction with Russell Road just after 4.30 on Wednesday the 4th. A spokesman for Norfolk Police said a 17-year-old man had been airlifted to Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, where he remained in a serious but stable condition. The collision involved a motorcycle and a Mitsubishi L200. The driver of the other vehicle was not injured. The road was closed for close to five hours while emergency services attended the scene and investigations were carried out. A spokesman for the East of England Ambulance Service said, We sent two ambulances and an air ambulance to the scene. One patient was transported by air ambulance to Addenbrooke's Hospital for further care. Now, the town's essential market is going to remain open, but no lingering. How bizarre. Essential market stalls will continue to serve on the marketplace right the way through the second lockdown, but shoppers will be discouraged from lingering after their purchase. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, as per government guidance, there are several essential market stalls that can remain open throughout lockdown as they offer food, groceries, hardware supplies or flowers and plants. Businesses can operate between 5am and 10pm, offering a food takeaway service, allowing customers to queue to place their orders. They will, however, be encouraged to take food away rather than use the benches in the immediate area. The QD store is going to remain open, apparently. An East Anglian value retail chain is set to keep its doors open during the second lockdown. QD Group has confirmed that its QD quality discount stores and Cherry Lane Garden Centres across the region will keep trading when lockdown begins on the 5th of November. QD is classified as an essential retailer, which means it can stay open during the latest lockdown period, said the retailer.
and the government's decision to allow garden centres, unlike the first lockdown, means that they continued to trade as well. After the first lockdown in March, QD stores stayed open for a while but then closed before a phased reopening. Operations Director Carl Ottolunghi said that they took the risk of coronavirus extremely seriously and its number one priority remained the well-being of staff and customers. With this in mind, they've made some changes to your usual shopping experience for safety reasons and all cafes will remain closed until further notice, he said. He added, we want our customers to know that we are here for them. We are fully stocked with all the essentials, including food and groceries, as well as everything else they might need, whether it's DIY supplies, homeware or Christmas goods. We have been particularly delighted with the number of people who have visited our Cherry Lane Garden Centres this year, because they have been enjoying spending more time outside in their gardens. He thanked staff for their continued hard work during a challenging time. We are determined to keep smiling under our masks, of course, and serving our customers safely, he said. Now work is to cut waiting times at the problem little junction. Help is in store for motorists navigating a problem junction near a busy supermarket. The staggered crossroads close to Little in Caister is a well-known pinch point at traffic from multiple directions and attempts have have been made to make it easier to access the interchange. Parish Council Chairman Tony Baker said the work was to enable a safer exit from Little, which would have its own lane under new traffic light phasing, meaning vehicles would no longer head out into the oncoming traffic from Ormsby Road. It is a junction we have always had concerns about, he said. It's not so bad for locals who use it all the time, but for holidaymakers it must be a nightmare. We've been banging on about it for a few years now because cutting across that junction is very, very confusing and quite dangerous. Under the changes, it would mean moving from a two-phase to a three-phase system, he understood, which meant waiting a little longer at the lights, but not getting stuck in the middle of the highway, waiting for a gap to get across. A Norfolk County Council spokesman said to help traffic flow more smoothly at this busy junction, we're updating the traffic lights with new demand-responsive lights to help cut average waiting times. The new lights will automatically adjust the time they are on green to help traffic move through the junction more easily in the future. Once the lights are in place, we will be monitoring and adjusting as necessary to make sure they are performing well. The installation is expected to be complete and the lights up and running by the 10th of November. Officials will begin monitoring the lights and making adjustments as needed. Mr Baker welcomed the changes and said he was surprised there had not been more accidents there, although people tend to approach the crossing fairly gingerly. Now, the town's coronavirus litter hit squad has funding renewed. The town's litter hit squad has had its funding renewed after delighted communities showered the pickers with bacon butties and cups of tea as a thank you. At a meeting of Yarmouth Borough Council's Environment Committee on November the 4th, Chairman Penny Carpenter applauded the squad, which was initially set up in August to keep areas with high footfall clean during the pandemic. 
Council Officer Chris Silverwood said in August we received funding from Norfolk County Council for COVID-related high street clean-up costs. We used this to fund our great little litter hit squad. Funding was due to stop at the end of October, but will now carry on until January the 9th. They are dressed in bright orange and are out using the electric sweeper. They've spent time in the rows, the Fuller Subway, Gapton Hall, Nelson Ward, Bradwell, Winterton, Hemsby, Galston and more. They are really making a difference. Officer James Wilson said there was much more waste to deal with as a result of the lockdown, including a huge increase in takeaway boxes, and that efforts were being made to improve the recycling of takeaway materials. But Councillor Donna Hammond said it seemed more people were willing to take responsibility for the area where they live because of the highly noticeable squad. I apologise for the squeaking. That is my dog has appeared with his squeaky toy. She said, I was out with the hit squad when they covered Sturdy Avenue and they did a fantastic job. It seemed to encourage more people to respect the environment. Carl Anderson, councillor for Bradwell South and Hopton, said the passageway running through Bradwell had been an absolute eyesore before the hit squad came along. Residents every single year contact me saying it's a total mess. I even remembered it being a tip as a child, he said, but I've been and looked down there since you guys came along and what a fantastic job. Kerry Robinson-Payne, councillor for the Nelson Ward, said residents down by the barracks were so impressed with the squad's work they offered the team bacon butties and hot drinks. We've been forgotten over the years down in that spot and your work was really appreciated, she said. Now, someone's addicted to pizza, can you believe? A woman who spotted a gap in the market for food deliveries to coastal villages during the first lockdown says she will be making the most of the second one. Francesca Cornish, founder of Frankie and Joey's travelling pizza caravan business, has pledged to serve the villages in and around Great Yarmouth as the country moves into another period of tight restrictions. She said, I am not going anywhere and my family are struggling to even to get me to take a day off at the moment. I'm just addicted to pizza making. I know how much the coastal villagers are crying out for takeaway food that isn't Indian and I'm going to be the one to bring it. On evenings, I'm doing deliveries out to Reedham and surrounding villages. But on weekends, I'll be covering the coast and will be announcing my route on social media. During the half-term holiday, Miss Cornish launched a pizza roulette treasure hunt around Reedham and said families were visiting from as far afield as Lowestoft to take part. It was such a success that I'm thinking of doing something similar over lockdown for local children to look forward to, she said. The clues on my treasure hunt started at Reedham train station and ended near Reedham Park. Children would then get to come to the park to play pizza roulette for £5, where they could get a pizza with a mystery slice of chilli or pineapple. According to Miss Cornish, one recent visit to the caravan said her pizza was the best he'd had since a trip to Rome. It's up and up from here and lockdown won't stop me, she said. The other day I received a five-star hygiene rating from Great Yarmouth Borough Council and I also bought my own pizza oven. 
This means I can make them in 60 seconds flat and will be more than equipped to cope with demand over lockdown. Last month, Miss Cornish also showcased her Italian cuisine at Borough House Care Home where her nan is a resident. She said all the residents loved it and it's things like that which keep people going in these difficult times. Now, three people were stranded on a boat overnight. Hemsby Broads Rescue is warning boaters to make sure they are home before nightfall after three people became stranded and had to wait until morning before their boat could be recovered. The Broads Rescue Team, alongside Galston Coast Guard, responded to a 999 call just before 10 o'clock on Monday night to help a leisure craft which had run aground near Great Yarmouth. Due to high tides and flooding, the team completed a challenging launch from Reedham Ferry along the River Yare and made their way to the panicked boaters. Coxon, Daniel Hurd, said we couldn't even use a slipway to launch the boat but had to do it off the side of the bank due to limited access. The people who were trapped were trying to get back from Yarmouth when strong winds pushed them to the side of the river where the water was really shallow. They got stuck with just one foot of water beneath them and it was clear we weren't going to be able to dislodge them there and then that evening. Instead, we made sure they were safe and well and then secured the boat via a mud anchor so it wouldn't drift away in the night. We had to leave them there until this morning when their boat could be released. He added it was a really difficult time, difficult to launch the lifeboat and difficult for us to reach them in the first place. Reed and Ferry was supposed to close at 10 o'clock but kept the gates open until 11 to make our job easier. It was a real team effort. This was an accident, pure and simple, but we'd all seen, seen the warnings for boaters to make sure they're well on their way home by nightfall and people should always stay clear of markers indicating shallow water along the waterways. Even though there was flooding and high tides in the waterways, Mr Hurd said it would still be perfectly possible to run aground. From Thursday, the Broads Authority has specified that nobody should be visiting in light of the November national lockdown anyway. Charities have warned the second national lockdown will leave some of society's most vulnerable people facing loneliness and anxiety and struggling to make ends meet. Reverend Matthew Price, who leads a food bank from St Mary Magdalene Church in Galston, said he is expecting to see a steady rise in people using the facility. There is a group of people, vulnerable families, who just about cope with life, but this year's pandemic has kicked them over the edge, he said. He also said there is a danger of people going hungry. I've spoken to three families who had nothing left in their cupboards, nothing left to feed the children that day. They were in crisis and they rang us. After people reach the point of absolute crisis, they reach out to us. Otherwise, they would be going hungry. Sir Norman Lamb, former North Norfolk MP, who last year set up a mental health and well-being fund, said a rise in anxiety is predictable considering the twin impact of the pandemic and the recession. There will be an inevitable impact on people's mental health.
If you think about the risk factors, things like unemployment, fear of unemployment, fear of debt, isolation, loneliness, these are all factors that increase the risk of descent into diagnosable mental ill health. And these are all present as we head back into another lockdown. Thanks, Aileen. Well, you're used to Dusty talking some Norfolk squit here and there, but just for a change, a Max Boyce poem gives her the chance for a stab at the old yakida. Just when the tide went out. Last night, as I lay sleeping, when dreams came fast to me, I dreamt I saw Jerusalem beside a tideless sea, and one dream I'll always remember as the stars began to fall, was Banksy painting Alan Wynne on my neighbour's garage wall. And dreams like that sustain me till these darkest times have passed and chase away the shadows no caring night should cast. But times like these can shine a light as hardship often can to see the best in people and the good there is in man. And I remember Swansea with nobody about. The shops were closed like Sunday, and just the tide went out. And I remember Mumbles, with the arbour in its keep, and the fishing boats at anchor that trawl the waters deep. And I heard the seabirds calling as the gulls all wheeled about. But all the town was sleeping now, and just the tide went out. And when these days are over, and memories remain, when children painted rainbows and the sun shone through the rain and the doctors and the nurses who stretched all the pain and I hope the carers never see a time like this again and I prayed last week for Boris who knocked on Evan's door and I thought of voting Tory which I'd never done before and though the sun is shining I've no immediate plans so I'll write a book on staying in and ways to wash your hands. And now more days of lockdown. Three weeks of staying in. I'm running out of vodka and I've started on the gin. And my neighbours are complaining. I've heard them scream and shout with the sound of the bins they're making when I take the empties out. And when all is over and our fragile world survives and I hope that God is caring now the ones who gave their lives and I pray we'll find an answer for my faith is cast in doubt but God draws back the curtains of heaven and all the stars come out and I'll remember mornings with nobody about and the shops were closed like Sunday and just the tide went out keep that in your mind, keep strong, keep well, and we will come through it. And one again, once again, the tide, which always comes and goes, will still be there for us. So until next time, God bless you. Thanks, Dusty. OK, with a very different Armistice Day soon to be with us, Julie gives us a piece written for the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I in 2018, 
plus some memories from her childhood of that yearly event. On Armistice Day, 11th of November, folk will be wearing their poppies. As with so many other things in our world at present, services will be different, but the symbol of the poppy forever remains constant. I thought I would ask you, metaphorically of course, to walk with me into the fields here in Norfolk, where poppies, sometimes dotted about singularly or en masse, intermingle amongst the wheat and the oats and the barley, despite the farmers' attempts to curtail their growth with weed killers. An amazing sight, and one which always reminds me of brave men and women who themselves proudly stood their ground against all odds for our country. This is a poem which I wrote in 2018, and uh, I thought I might like to read it to you. A century ago ended World War I. Each grateful soldier laid down his gun, remembering the horror of battle-scarred strife with prayers of thanksgiving for loss and for life. But how many fell in the mud and the rain, never returning to England again, not just humans, but animals there in combat. How many of you ever gave thought to that? From nuzzling hay, sweet grass, buttercups, afternoon hacks, gentle nudges from stirrups, to pounding of guts, urging all that they'd got just to die of exhaustion, or maimed and then shot. If they came back at all, all their eyes would be wild, no longer the pet of a farmer's young child. Boxing Day hunters, donned in jackets of red, brought memories of blood oceans which had been shed. From lofts, pigeons were taken billing and cooing, their fanciers clueless of what they'd be doing. But these feathered heroes flew day and night, delivering orders to the front of the fight. Canaries detected poisonous gases, wounded supplies, letters carried by asses. Not just pets or mascots were those dogs and cats. They were all trained to rid the trenches of rats. For king and for country, shoulder to shoulder, some very young looked after those older, stories they'd tell in the squalor of night, laughing and singing, each masking their fright. Dressed in black, widows, orphans, fathers and mothers, proudly lining the street to welcome home others, whose loved ones returned, now a man, not a boy, each kissing and hugging, extolling their joy. So what was it about, this war to end wars, or trying to meet a political cause, rebuilding lives with love, sweat and pain, when less than 30 years later, it started again? Politicians, please, keep us free from war. Around the table can be settled a score. Remember those brave men all fought for our peace. It's within your power for that never to cease. It was called We Remember Them. And I'd like to just uh, give you a little bit of a, on a lighter note. 
and I recall in days of old when nights were bold, being a very young Red Cross cadet, and as was customary, we were asked to muster for the Arms Day Church Parade, together with Cubs, Scouts, Veterans, etc. Well, at the time, we had a dear old maiden lady who we called Cuffy. It wasn't meant in any way derogatory, just to play on her name. Bless her, she was in charge of the detachment, and her patience and kindness gave us all a good grounding in not only first aid, but life. Anyway, she was a shortish person of ample proportions, who for such occasions was always bedecked in her really heavy navy greatcoat, festooned with medals and ribbons, of which we were in awe. Not having children of her own, she evidently thought that we young folk were a hardy breed, and every year, come rain, hail, snow or blow, we would march through the village, stand around the memorial until formalities had taken place before entering the church in just our indoor uniform, consisting of white blouses and socks, navy ties, skirts and berets. Oh my word, it was cold, wet and miserable. But each year we complied and our parents, although not in agreement, saw it as part of Cuffy's discipline. Whilst tucked up in my lovely warm coat, scarf and boots these days, I really sympathise for any parading uniformed child in less suitable attire. I suspect many of you can relate to that. Thanks, Julie. Still to come, Andy with one of his weird tales. Before that, though, Aileen with the second part of the news. The gritters are out on Norfolk's roads as the temperatures drop below freezing. The gritters went out on the roads for the first run of the season on Tuesday, November the 3rd, when temperatures were forecast to drop below freezing overnight. The run included all parts of the county except Norwich, where the temperatures were forecast to stay above zero. Each full gritting run in Norfolk sees 2,200 miles of roads treated. Norfolk County Council says all A and B class roads and some C roads are treated with a focus on commuter and major bus routes and as far as is possible one route into all villages. Martin Wilby, Cabinet Member for Highways, Infrastructure and Transport said it's a huge undertaking keeping a big rural county like Norfolk moving each winter but highways teams were well prepared for the first run. We can all do our bit to help keep safe by always driving to conditions, particularly over the coming months, whether it's wet, icy or snowy. I'd urge people to keep an eye on all our social media channels over the winter, not just for updates on when we're gritting, but also information to help people in the county cope during the colder months. This year, Norfolk's 48-strong fleet of gritting trucks features seven brand-new vehicles which were on their inaugural grit run. The winners of a competition for Norfolk school children to choose names for the seven new gritters are to be announced next week. Norfolk has about 16,000 tonnes of salt stocked in the county and this will be replenished as needed during the winter. Now, unfortunately, Norfolk libraries are going to close during this lockdown. 
All of Norfolk's libraries will be closed during the lockdown, County Council bosses have announced. Norfolk County Council said that following the government announcement, all 47 of its libraries, plus its mobile libraries, would close from Thursday the 5th of November until further notice. The county's libraries closed their doors during the March lockdown and gradually reopened over the summer. The council had been seeking guidance from the government about whether libraries could remain at least partially open for people who use computers for benefit claims, but has taken the decision to shut them. Just last week, the council, which had extended how many items people could borrow to 45 just before the first lockdown, had said the number would be cut to 20 and that overdue charges would kick in from November the 22nd. But people will now not have to rush to return or renew their books. A spokesman said library users will not need to renew or return the items they have borrowed, as all loans will automatically be renewed and no overdue charges will be applied while the libraries are closed. Online activities will continue through the Norfolk Libraries and Information Service social media channels and via the Norfolk Libraries website, where customers can also borrow a wide range of e-books and magazines. We look forward to welcoming everyone back when it is safe to do so and hope to see as many people as possible online throughout the next month. The council had already said its museums, which had recently reopened, would have to close. But Norfolk's recycling centres will remain open during this second lockdown. However, the reuse shops will close. And what is clear is it is all very confusing about what you can and cannot do. Um, And obviously rules in Wales and Scotland are different. Now a forgotten pub has gone up for sale. A four-bedroom terrace house, which was once a quaint Norfolk pub, is up for sale. The property at 161 Northgate Street, Great Yarmouth, was formerly the Castle Tavern, once run by the renowned Lakens Brewery. The Castle Tavern started out in 1854 but closed in 1916. It is listed on the Norfolk Pubs website as having several landlords, including a George Francis who was fined five shillings in 1860 for having the pub open and permitting drinking at illegal hours on a Saturday night and Sunday morning. A few years later, in 1864, Mr Francis found himself in trouble again for the same offence and a court case ended with him being ordered to make a donation to the poor box. Elijah Walter Gibbs then ran it from 1912. A lovely old photograph exists showing his wife, Eleanor Gibbs, and their three children standing outside the pub in the same year. The pub had three more landlords after Mr Gibbs until it finally closed after its licence was not renewed. The property, which stands out from many of the other buildings in the street because of its height, was sold in 1999 for £21,000. This building was originally the home of John Ireland, Mayor of Great Yarmouth in 1716, and became a public house by 1797. 
It was operated by Lakens Brewery, which was founded in 1760, but shut down in 1968 before being relaunched in 2013. The grapevine editor, who passed the building several times a day in the 1950s whilst walking from Beaconsfield Road to the Priory School, thinks he remembers it as a hardware store, maybe called Dyson's, but he's not certain on this point. Now a candy store is hoping to bring a bit of pleasure. After a weekend of turmoil, a dessert bar and candy store operator has decided to stay open during the month lockdown. I just want candy and I just want treat US in Market Gates, Great Yarmouth, said the two stores were allowed to keep trading under government guidelines. The dessert bar was already a takeaway and the US-style candy store sold enough grocery and bakery products to qualify. Mrs Ionu said she had been in turmoil over the weekend trying to work out what to do for her business and staff, who all wanted to carry on working. Having opened up the dessert bar just a few weeks before lockdown and then being forced to close, she had had to build the business for a second time. Under a slightly less severe lockdown, which would see Burger King and other food outlets nearby trading as takeaway, it meant the shopping centre would have more entrances open and see some limited passing trade, which helped her decision. She said we had built up customer momentum. We had this fabulous start when we reopened and we had to start again. If we shut, it could kill us completely. This way, we think we at least have a fighting chance. She said shoppers would find extra COVID restrictions, including limits on the number of people in both stores. Staying open would give the staff a purpose and bring a little pleasure to people finding the lockdown very hard. Now there's problems with beer going out of date as well. Brewing could stop and a factory be mothballed, but Historic Lakens is not going to be pouring beer away this time. The government's month-long lockdown could see brewing halted at the site in Main Cross Road, as the hospitality sector is closed from the 5th of November to the 2nd of December in a bid to cut coronavirus infection rates across the country. Under the first lockdown, the brewery gave away 20,000 pints of award-winning beer in its ding-dong dash. This time, however, with production already trimmed, finance and ops director Sean Gregory said they were not going to be pouring beer away. He said the second lockdown was not unexpected and that they had already seen a drop in demand with the impact of the 10 o'clock curfew. A four-week lockdown is different to what we had before and we are not going to have to pour away beer going out of date as we did before. We are already brewing, brewing to a sales forecast and have less beer in the tank. He added that brewing could stop completely as the pubs shut. Meanwhile, people can support the brewery by buying online and taking a virtual tour via the Lakens website. Now, a busy restaurant that prides itself on having adapted to every shift in government guideline 
during the coronavirus pandemic says it is gutted to be closing again. Tyrone Harolds of Bramford's in Caister at the Old Hall said if someone had come to me before and said we had to be closed for a month, I would have picked January, February or November, but now I am gutted. We are on a roll and getting busier and busier. The restaurant had invested in a marquee outdoor heaters that were making it a popular choice for diners who supported its efforts to make the best of whatever was thrown at it. The thing is, for us, we have always adapted what we have been doing and moved to what has been available to us under the restrictions. And as a result of that, people have really appreciated that we've made the effort. We have been really busy in October and the forecast for November and December was good. Mr Harold said the restaurant was still digesting the details and undecided which route it would take now. Although it was geared up for takeaway with an outside catering branch, well and bespoke catering, it would need to make enough to pay staff. It was likely Branford's would bring back the community meals service that proved popular during the first lockdown, and there had been a flurry of inquiries already, he said. Given the popularity of their Sunday roasts, which ran to four full sittings over the last three months, they were looking at possibly providing something along those lines. I was expecting something like this, he said, but I always thought they would utilise the half term and choose a week either side of that. There was always going to be a second wave. I am more concerned with the Gove situation and his comments that it could go on longer and about being prepared for a very different Christmas. That's the kind of thing that is really worrying me. On the plus side, he said the phone had been red hot over the weekend with Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday seeing a rush before the national lockdown on Thursday. He said overall he supported the measures if they were going to help in the long run. It's crazy time for everyone, he said. And I have to say that for us, the Imperial Hotel is now closed except for people that need to stay for essential work. So all the restaurants, everything is closed. It is a very sad time. A hotel with no customers is not the best place to be. Now a town centre jeweller is closing as well. A jeweller's that opened almost half a century ago on the coast has closed due to insufficient space for social distancing. Cox's on Market Row in Great Yarmouth was one of two stores run by the company which continues to trade at its larger premises on Northgate Street. Michael Cox, manager and member of the fourth generation of the family to work at the jewellers, said, We were on Market Row for 48 years, but our risk assessment for COVID to keep the public and staff safe was not favourable for the size of the shop. It's bittersweet, but we have to be pragmatic in these times, he added. You couldn't get people to distance two metres in the shop, as it's a small shop, we could only get one group of customers in at any one time and you couldn't avoid them meeting the next set of people coming in. The shop had employed six staff, a mixture of part-time and full-time, and Mr Cox said they will now work at the Northgate branch. All the jewellery has also been transferred to that premises, which has been trading since 1875. 
Closing the town centre store means the company will have to encourage customers to travel a little bit further to Northgate Street. The 47-year-old has worked in the company, where several of his family members are directors since he was 17. It was his father, Edward, who opened the branch on Market Row, and prior to that, the premises had also been a jeweller's called Barker's. We've seen different generations of families coming to see us to do business, Mr Cox said. Although one impact of the coronavirus restriction has been the cancellations of weddings, I think a lot of people in lockdown have decided to get engaged. Business is as steady as it can be, he added. And I have to say, my engagement and wedding ring came from there, as did my mother-in-law's. And he is right. I have two daughters. Both have got engaged in lockdown. So it is interesting. If you spend all this time with your partner, you clearly love them. So that is some good news. More news in just a while. In the meantime, Andy gives us details of some odd happenings on the not very new Acle New Road or the not completely straight Acle Strait, to give it its other name. This is Andy with another of the weird Norfolk stories. This one concerns the ghosts of the Acle Strait. It's a stretch of road like no other in Norfolk. A spirit-level flat route which crosses the misty marshes to link a broadland market town to the seaside. The Acle Strait, a delight to drivers who aren't in a hurry, offers views across grazing marshes dotted with wind pumps with its patchwork of farmland and dikes that stretch for miles from Acle itself to Great Yarmouth. A journey of nine miles over reclaimed land which was once under the sea. The road, also known as the Acle New Road, began as a turnpike road, following an Act of Parliament in 1830, for making a new road across the marshes between Acle and Great Yarmouth, with a branch road between Seven Mile House on the River Bure and Halvergate Village. Shortening the distance from Great Yarmouth to Norwich by three miles and five furlongs, the road was staked out in 1830, and ditches were created on each side, 37 feet apart. Layers of willow brushwood, soil from the ditches and gravel created a road, and willow trees were planted on either side. By April 1831, the road was complete other than for a layer of broken stones and shingle. It opened later that year as a toll road. As its name suggests, the road is exceptionally straight. Other than the curve, where the Halvgrate Branch Road joins it at a point which encompasses the new Hindu temple on the former home of the Stracy Arms, a preserved wind pump, a house and a hump bridge which spans the Norwich to Yarmouth railway line. It was close to this exact point where something very strange was spotted the spectral figure of a man. A driver passing the Halvergate turn-off 
a notoriously dangerous stretch of the Acor Strait, which has tragically claimed many lives over the decades, on the way to Acor, watched in horror as a middle-aged man walked out into the centre of the road from the right-hand side and into the path of their car. With no time to stop, the figure turned to look at the driver, and as he did so, the car passed straight through him. And it's not the first time that ghosts have been seen on this stretch of road. Other drivers have reported seeing a phantom horse and cart crossing the road directly in the path of oncoming vehicles. While other drivers have reported having a sudden impulse to brake violently and for no apparent reason at certain points along the road, despite having seen nothing to lead them to the conclusion that an emergency stop was necessary. 18 months after the Halvergrate spirit was spotted, Bill Richardson was driving on the April bypass towards Hemsby at about 7am when he had to slam his brakes on in order to miss hitting someone who had stepped out in front of his car. Suddenly stepped into the road in front of me, he said. They appeared to be wearing some sort of shiny uniform and swinging their arms as if they were marching. At this very moment, a fellow early morning traveller, heading down the carriageway in the opposite direction, also pulled up. Bill realised this had to be just more than a coincidence. He said, after a couple of minutes, I pulled myself together and got out of my vehicle and walked over to the other car and spoke to the driver, a young lady, and asked her if she had seen what I saw. The young lady described what had caused her to make the unexpected stop. A description of the very same man crossing the road who had, just like Bill's mysterious marcher, vanished completely. This was a very weird experience for me, as I would expect it was for the lady of the other car, said Bill. Thanks to Andy. The last part of this week's news now, and back to Aileen. Now, the town does deserve a bit of good news as an exciting bid goes in to reclaim the community hub. A historic seaside hub could be reclaimed for the benefit of the community after it went up for sale for £150,000. The Priory Centre in Great Yarmouth has a special place in the heart of the borough's residence and according to Labour councillor Jade Martin, Its closure in 2019 left community groups homeless. She said so many groups called the entire centre their home and it was a real hub of empowerment for local people. At £150,000, the place is a steal. Great Yarmouth's Community Land Trust, known informally as Yarmouth Roads, is hoping to make an offer for the centre and turn it into an asset of community value. If the application to the Borough Council is successful, the Priory will be held in perpetuity, which means owned by the community and used exclusively for community use. Helen Lynch, the Yarmouth Road Secretary, said the Community Trust started last year and we've been looking for a project ever since. Our reason for being is to provide affordable housing and community spaces in the area. The Priory Centre fits the bill perfectly. 
The pressure is on us at the moment and our bid is in the hands of administrators. There's lots of emails firing off and a lot of applications going in for grant funding to help make this a reality, she added. It's about getting the council on side. We're now registered as an interested party, which is exciting, but stressful at the same time. We need the public on board. We have a Just Giving page people can donate to, and residents can email the council with their own memories of the Priory Centre to help make the case for designating the building as an asset of community value. Miss Martin said, we did it with Pops Meadow and we can do it with this one too. Galston is so privileged to have the Shrubland Centre, but Great Yarmouth, which has already been decimated by austerity, is crying out for a space they can turn to for help. The town deserves its own space, and the Priory Centre is it. Local historian Michael Boone said heritage is something you cannot get back once it's gone. There are 900 years of history there, and Yarmouth has to look after what it's got. Now, as we said earlier, <clears throat> Norfolk's rubbish tips will remain open. So, whilst you're in lockdown, you can clearly have a bit of a sort out, I think. Norfolk's recycling centres will remain open during the second lockdown, council bosses have announced. People across the country have been told they should stay at home once again, with pubs, restaurants and all non-essential retail, entertainment and leisure venues told to close. However, at a meeting of Norfolk County Council's Cabinet on Monday morning, Council Leader Andrew Proctor revealed the Council's 20 tips will remain open. The recycling centres were closed during the first lockdown in March, but Mr Proctor said they would stay open this time round. He said household waste recycling centres will remain open, but the reuse shops will close. However, the four Norfolk Museum Service-run museums, which had recently reopened, will now have to shut. A council spokesman said... It has confirmed that museums and galleries in England will close. The four Norfolk museums, which recently reopened over the last month, Norwich Castle, Gresson Hall, Time and Tide and Lynn Museum, will close from the 5th of November. Norfolk Museum Service will continue to deliver high-quality digital resources for our audience and help to support vulnerable residents and young people. While weddings and civil partnerships will not be permitted unless under exceptional circumstances, the Council will be continuing with birth registrations as it tries to clear a backlog built up during the first lockdown. Shoppers have been making the most of the last few days before lockdown, hunting down essential items, gifts and festive greeting cards. Helped by blue skies and warm temperatures, Yarmouth's marketplace was a hub of activity, with many people buying presents while they could. Boris Johnson announced a month-long lockdown at the weekend, meaning Christmas shopping has been instantly brought forward for those looking to avoid a December rush. At Sentiments Card Shop in the marketplace, it meant a busy morning in an era when sending a greeting by post looks set to be more important than ever. It went a bit mad, said owner Richard Burden, Everyone is a bit worried about if they can get their cards in. 
I'm hoping that even during lockdown, we might be able to leave a telephone number in the window for people to contact us to arrange collection and delivery. I cannot guarantee it will work. It is one of the worst times for us to have to close. The uncertainty makes it very difficult for everyone. Hopefully it will do the trick and we will all have a nice Christmas. Mr Burton, who runs the shop with his wife Primrose, said as well as Christmas cards, people were also thinking ahead to birthdays and anniversaries and stocking up for the months ahead. Quality books on the six-day market said sales there had also been briefly lifted by the lockdown. Heather Jenner said for a November Monday business had been brisk with several people saying they were stocking up to stay at home. During the lockdown, she said, if it's got to be done, November is fine, as long as we are back open in December. If that's what the government thinks is right, then I'm happy to stay with it. Among those making a special trip into Yarmouth to visit non-essential shops before they closed and everyone was shut away was David Stone, a 79-year-old of Palgrave Road, said he and his wife were out buying presents as well as essentials and what would probably be their last day of that out of the house until December. Having shielded for months, they did not welcome the prospect of being shut away again and did not support the lockdown, he said. With many shops already closing permanently in the town centre, he said he was also worried about what sort of town centre they would be returning to once the lockdown was lifted. Meanwhile, Wendy Lindsay, 74, from Lowestoft, said she usually shopped in Yarmouth two or three times a week. She had made the trip on Monday for groceries and gift cards for family members she would not be meeting up with over Christmas and who were scattered across the country. I will miss coming to Yarmouth, she said. I'm getting some bits of Christmas because you cannot guarantee what's going to happen. All you can do is buy gift cards and hope the shops are still there when this is over. At Marketgate Shopping Centre, the manager, Nick Spencer, said they were preparing for Thursday's lockdown and that on Monday the centre was noticeably busier. At the flower shop, just inside its front entrance, prices had been slashed by 25% to try and shift the stock before they closed. Although they could keep the plants alive for a month, if they were to reopen in December as planned, they would need new seasonal stock. Beyond the town centre, Gapton Hall was also reportedly busy and large queues were spotted at B&Q and Argos in Pasta Road. Now, a man has spent a phenomenal amount on building his favourite car. He has spent £32,000 transforming his car into the crime-fighting KITT kit car from the iconic TV series Knight Rider, surprising bystanders when he drives into the shops. Paul Nichols from Bradwell loved watching the 1980s show as a boy. The car was the coolest thing I'd ever seen as a kid, he said. It's something you don't ever forget. And as I got older, I thought I could even build a car like that and it would be absolutely epic. Since learning to drive, Mr Nichols has always had sports cars and it was after getting a BMW M3 he wondered how he could go one better. I wondered what I can build that could be really good fun, he said. 
In May last year, he bought a 5-litre 1982 Pontiac Trans Am. The car kit was based on for £15,000. When I first bought the car, most of it had to be redone, he said. He spent a year and a half and £17,000 doing the car up, converting it into his car of his boyhood dreams. There's so much stuff to do because the car doesn't exist. You have to build it and finding the parts is difficult. But it's got to the point now where I'm pretty happy with how it looks. Knight Rider starred David Hasselhoff as Michael Knight, a crime fighter who drove Kit, an autonomous, artificially intelligent talking car. Mr Nichols' version also talks as he has created a playlist collating more than 4,000 phrases, allowing the car to interact with bystanders and passers-by. It tells jokes. It engages with people in the best possible way. I've had to go through thousands of different phrases and choose the best and most relevant ones, he said. Mr Nichols, a digital marketeer who also runs a jet wash business, enjoys taking the car when doing the groceries. Most people know what the car is and most people are just like that. They are wowed. If I pull in at Tesco's, people get their phones out and start recording it because it's a very rare thing to see in the area. I put it in the car park and leave on kit and leave the light on and I come out and there are lots of people around taking pictures. Mr Nichols has a YouTube channel, Funky Projects, with more videos on his version of kit. And I have to say, I am one of those peoples that knows about Kit. Now, crime. Obviously, sad item about crime. Great Yarmouth's top 10 worst offending streets for crime since the start of the pandemic were almost exclusively within two of the most deprived wards. From the beginning of April until the end of August, which is as far as police incident maps stretch, the highest number of crimes by residential area were in the Nelson, Central and Northgate wards. In that five-month period, 60 crimes were reported on Deanside alone, which topped the list for 2020. Violence and sexual offences account for 18 of the reports and public order offences for 11. This is compared to 13 and 4 the year before. These trends are consistent across Great Yarmouth as a whole for the duration of the pandemic. Between April and August 2018, 1,760 violent and sexual offences were reported, but in 2020 this jumps by 15% to 2,040. Public order offences have also increased by 44% from 438 to 630. Burglaries, meanwhile, have decreased. Vehicle crime down by 54%, shoplifting by 50% and theft by 44%. According to Norfolk Police, during the peak of the pandemic in April and May for this year, Great Yarmouth saw the lowest total number of crimes recorded in the last 12 months, tallying up 791 and 625 reports compared to an average of 869 between October 19 and September 20. 
but when broken down to street level, crime levels remained consistent in the borough's top 10 hotspots. In fact, statistics show Deanside, Nottingham Way, Euston Road and King Street failed to drop out of the top 10 at any point in that time. Norfolk Constabulary explained that deprivation caused by dense population levels and a high amount of rented housing was a challenging knock-on effect on crime levels in these wards. It said the police are not blind to these issues and have been tackling them for 15 years via a crackdown on county lines and the creation of a public spaces protection order. We also championed the council to establish the first selective licensing area in the county, which puts greater scrutiny on private landlords. The Borough Council said, as a responsible landlord, it does not tolerate crime or antisocial behaviour on its estates and encourages tenants to report issues so action can be taken. But one man who lives in the Middlegate estate and did not want to be named said things seem to have become worse over the last three years he has lived there and come particularly acute during the first lockdown. He said, just the other month my car was vandalised, costing me £600 to have it fixed. I didn't bother calling the police because I think they're overwhelmed at the moment. At the beginning of lockdown, there were so many people going in and out of flats, doing God knows what, and a lot of vandalism where teenagers weren't at school. Some roads feel pretty lawless. You just have to put up with it. Mike Smith-Clare, who's a borough council for Central and Northgate, said it was tragic but inevitable that deprived areas were seeing a rise in domestic-related crimes. He said, for people already living difficult lives, the pandemic has become a toxic tipping point. It's no surprise people are struggling right now. Carrie Tolbert, who also represents Central and Northgate Ward, said it was a case of the caged animal theory. She said people were trapped inside without support and had it drilled into their heads they needed to protect the NHS. They ignored their own problems and probably quite often acted out of character. I'm worried this will happen again during this second lockdown. Kerry Robinson-Payne, who is a councillor for the Nelson Ward, said it was important to remember how strong communities were despite the challenges they faced. These two wards have a lot of issues and feed directly into one another, she said. But my ward also had some fantastic community groups in it. There was such an effort over the first lockdown for people to do food and medicine runs and check in on neighbours. The statistics don't give the full story, which is that people are trying to do better and are helping each other through these difficult times. And they really are that, difficult times. Well, that's all the news we've got, I'm afraid. It's Sammy squeaking his toy, my beautiful lab, at home with me and it's Aileen. Another week of COVID, another lockdown. Uh, I hope you're keeping safe and well and happy. And I cannot believe after all these months we are still struggling as a nation. However... I am convinced things will get better, so let's hope 
for a, a safe and peaceful Christmas and New Year. I will speak to you in December after lockdown, but in the meantime, this is Aileen with the Grapevine News, recording from home. And take care and goodbye for now. Well, that's all we have for you for this edition of Grapevine. Grapevine, volume 40, number 45, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content, in the main, is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Your newsreader next week will be Desney, and we hope that you'll join us once again for our weekly look at your local news. In the meantime, from Aileen, Dusty, Julie, Andy and myself, it's bye for now, have a great week and keep well and safe. Bye.